The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. I think I've watched that video about a hundred times and uh, I love it. Uh, one, it kind of reminds me of some of my wife's and I's arguments. Um, but two, just uh, having children, you know, it's such an exciting thing to hear them talk. If you can see through the cuteness of that video for just a second and think about what's really going on there. Uh, they're trying to come to an agreement, in a sense, on whether it's raining or sprinkling. And their limited vocabulary uh, doesn't allow them to see the same thing. And then that middle one, she is just so passionate about creating peace between them. She's, she's trying to say, and she just doesn't have the, the development uh, physically yet to say what's in her heart. And you see that with kids all the time as they struggle with with saying stuff, and you know, it's, it's such a cool part of life. Um, you know, as a parent, you, you bring this child into the world, and you take care of their needs, and you do all the things that need to be done, and then the day comes when they say their first word, and it's monumental. Everybody's so excited, you know, uh, you know, as a mama, or as my three girls all said, dad is superior. I don't know why they came up with that. It was awesome. They're geniuses. But whatever the case is, you get on the phone and you call family members, grandma, and say, guess what? You know, they said this. And everybody rejoices. And really what's happening that we're so excited about is the child is showing potential. He's potentially going to start speaking and letting us know what he wants. You know, up to this point, if they're uh, they cry if the diaper is dirty, if they want food, if it's overstimulation, uh, whatever it is they need, they have one uh, word vocabulary, which is, ah! But now, now they're going to talk, and they're going to talk to us and tell us things. And so it is, as we talk about prayer this morning, we learn to talk to God. And just like with those kids, uh, we start in our Christian walk uh, speaking words that we don't always understand and we're not always sure if we have the right meaning of and is this the right way to talk to God and you know is there some formula I'm supposed to be using and some of us hunt through books looking for written prayers but this morning we're just going to explore and see what it means to pray uh, and we're going to do that in John 17 uh, the gospel of John and we are going to look at how uh, this is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Word of God. Uh, as we've been talking the previous weeks leading up to this, we know that this is an important prayer because Jesus is heading to the final showdown with those that are in opposition to him. He's already gathered his faithful disciples in the upper room. They've broken bread. Uh, they've had that last supper. And then he's exhorted them with some final instructions. And now he's going to pray over them. And this is so cool because this prayer is so intimate. Sometimes it's called the Lord's Prayer, but more accurately, it sh should be referenced as the high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying with them and showing the intimacy of his prayer with his Father in their hearing. Now, if Jesus just wanted to have a prayer time, he could have just, as he will in chapter 18, go off to the garden where he goes off and he prays. And even though he invites his disciples to join him, we will see as we go through Passion Week that they, they fail at their jobs. They just fall asleep. And Jesus is left alone to pray. And he could have prayed everything that's in chapter 17, and perhaps he did. His purpose here, though, being the master educator that he is, is he's setting forth a standard for us in prayer. He wanted his disciples 
to hear him pray like this. Now, we don't know if he's standing and looking at the heavens or if he, they're holding hands and they're praying. Uh, it's really a relatively short prayer, but it's packed. It's powerful. And I believe the reason that he is praying in front of them is that his desire is for them to uh, imitate this prayer, to do like he's doing. So let's just jump into this and see what we have here. In John chapter 17, this chapter is easily divisible into three parts. Uh, the first part is this. Jesus is praying for himself, his relationship with his father. If you look at your bulletin insert and kind of follow along there, uh, there's a theological term that we use that speaks to the indwelling, the mutual indwelling of the Father and the Son. It is how they reflect upon one another and the Holy Spirit. The members of the Trinity come together and they take definition, a function, and essence from each other. There is a closeness there. And as you look at this, I'm just going to read through these first five verses, you can see that. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed." And it's just amazing in there how he shows mutual indwelling. As we were talking about back in chapter 15 of the Gospel of John, where there's a lot of pronouns, talking about the vine and bearing fruit, and the, the verb throughout that chapter is to abide. We want to abide in God, in Jesus, so that we may bear fruit. And Jesus is basically just reiterating that. He's saying, we, I have to be in the Father the Father has to be in me for me to accomplish what the Father has asked me to do. And the focus here is not just totally on the members of the Trinity. When we think about that, theologically, we are the sons and daughters of God. Through him, through the adoption that happens through the cross, we are part of that family. So in order for us to be obedient to God and do things that glorify him, he has to indwell us and we have to indwell him. We are part of this family. And Jesus wants his disciples to get it. Know this, that when I pray, I am focused on my relationship with my heavenly father. Because Jesus often throughout the gospels gives total credit to God for everything he does. The words that I speak to you, the father has told me. The miracles that I have performed, the father has given me authority and permission to do these as well. Everything that Jesus did was in the power and strength of his father's commission and giving him the ability to do it. And so we as Christians, and we come into prayer before God, we have to see ourselves in that family. We have to see ourselves in obedience to him and understand that everything that we are possibly going to be able to do in his name comes with permission and comes with the power of the father. So his focus is first praying for himself. Secondly, we see that his focus switches to praying for his disciples. This is an intimate group of guys. This is like, you know, the 12 and minus one now as Judas has gone out to do his, his work. But he's got those 11 sitting in there and he's praying for them. He's praying earnestly for them. He wants them to hear him pray for them. How awesome is it when those that we love can hear us pray for them? It's an amazing thing. What is he praying for them? Well, I'm not gonna read the whole section. But there are some things like unity. If we look at verse 11, 
it says, and I am no longer in the world, but they, my disciples, they are in the world, and I am coming, Jesus, I am coming to you, Father. Uh, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even, and that's such a crucial word, I love that, as we are one. Just as I was saying, now that we're in that family, we, get, we have inherited, we get the privilege of all those positions that Jesus held and holds. We are one, even as Jesus and the Father are one. Think about the implications of that. The unity there. He's not only saying to these 11 in this hearing, those guys that he has been discipling for all these years, he's not just saying to them, be one. He's going to see, as we're going to see a little bit later, he's talking about all of us. All of us that call Christ Lord. We're supposed to be unified. And he prays for that. He also prays for their protection in verse 15. Uh, Let's see if I can find it here. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. In other words, this is not going to be an easy ride, guys. Uh, I didn't promise you that this is going to be all benefits. There's going to be trials and tribulations. I'm not asking you, God, to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Protect them. And later on, he's going to say that the world will hate them because the world has hated me. So on the one hand, we have the privilege of being adopted sons, the heirs of all that Christ procures through his death on that cross, all the benefits. We are one even as you and I are one, Father. But we also are going to inherit the hatred of the world and the opposition of the evil one. And Jesus is praying for those that he loves, saying, please, Lord, protect him from that. Every one of these guys is going to give his life for the gospel, is going to live out in fulfillment of that great commission. And Jesus knows that the world is not going to always enjoy that. But then also notice he's praying for their joy. He wants them to understand that. Verse 13, but now I am coming to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What an incredible statement at this point in Jesus' life. He knows that within a matter of hours, he is going to be arrested, tried. He'd have to defend himself before various government officials, let alone his own people, beaten, flogged, uh, embarrassed, humiliated, and eventually have iron nails hammered into his wrists and his ankles and hung on a cross for display to all. And yet he says, I want them to know my joy. What a joy. What a privilege to serve God in this way. Jesus did not, did not see it as the disastrous ending, but rather the completeness of joy. We see that in the other disciples throughout the rest of the New Testament books. Their joy is made complete in their suffering and in the trials that God allows them to have. Jesus prays that they may know the kind of joy that is. And by the way, this is not a human manufactured joy. Uh, sometimes when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, as we did a couple of weeks ago, we can focus on, boy, I want to have those fruit. I want to be, you know, joyful and peaceful and kind and all, and all those things. But we try to manufacture that. I've had people come to me and say, Dave, pray for me. I really, I'm, I'm, I'm expressing some anxiety. I need peace. Would you just pray that I have peace? Because, you know, here's what I'm going to do. And they walk through with me some coping skills they've learned, which are great. There's no problem with that. Some anxiety that they're having. But the question we have is, well, can't any non-Christian do that? Can anybody on the street do the same coping skills? You see, the fruits of the Spirit come as a spiritual movement. 
when the Spirit indwells us, and he is indwelling us, by the way, if you're a believer, and he gives us that ability, and he is giving us that ability, we can have joy no matter what the life circumstances are. Wow. Now, does that solve all problems? No. Uh, it's in the midst of those problems that this joy may come. And how crucial is it that at this point in Christ's life, he's expressing that desire? He's also praying for their sanctifications in verses 17 through 19, that they would know the truth and that their word is truth and that they would be set apart by what they understand about him. And then lastly, he prays for their mission in verse 18. He says to them, as you sent me into the world, that was Father, as you've sent me, Jesus, into the world, so I, Jesus, have sent them, my disciples, into the world. Wow. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you. The same mission I had when I first appeared to you guys and I called to you on the shores of Galilee and I asked you to come and be part of my band of men that are going to learn, as we went through all that ministry together, so now I'm going to turn that around and ask you to do the same. Go find your own men. Go find your own women. Go find others that you can disciple and that you can under, help understand the gospel. Go and make disciples of all men. This is your mission. So he prayed for his disciples. He's also thirdly, in the latter part of this chapter, praying for others. And specifically, and don't miss this, this is really cool. He is praying for his disciples' disciples. He's praying for his disciples' disciples. People that aren't even on the scene yet. People that haven't even heard the gospel yet. Jesus is praying, in a sense, for what's going to happen. And his prayer for them is just like he did for his real disciples, uh, his 11, is that they would be unified. You see that in verse 23. He says, I in them, and you in them, excuse me, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So again, we see that duality of unity and love for future disciples. Do you guys focus on that very often? It's a challenge to me. But, you know, I, I, I can say that I pray for the, the young man that would marry my daughter. I started praying for them as soon as my daughters were born. I was thinking of the, the moron that's probably out there that's going to come knocking on my door someday. You know, how big a shotgun do it? No, that's not true. But, yeah, you know, we can pray for those kind of things because they're personal and they're, they're in our hearts. But praying for our disciples' disciples, wow. I think of the young men and women that I've seen come to know Christ and the ministries that are being done and just thinking down the road. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to pray for others. I'm going to pray for those people because they haven't seen me. Unlike you 11 sitting here today in the upper room, uh, the ones that are coming will not have the opportunity to be with me. He says several times in here, I'm leaving. My job is done. I'm basically turning the keys of the cars over to you. This will be your mission from now on. And I want you to know that not only am I focused on you, Eleven, but I'm focused on everyone else that you touch, everyone else that you have a ministry with. I'm praying for them. How fascinating it is to see that, to see that that message, that word goes out, and it continues to go out. Thinking about people that may even long after we have passed are going to be getting the benefits of the efforts of our labor in Christ. Wow, that is, a, that is a great thing. Now, if you're following along in your bulletin, you may be thinking, whoa, this guy still has a lot of material to cover. And a lot of that is for our community group ministry so that they can look at that, or any small group, and just have something to talk about under the further study and so forth categories. But as we've looked at, at prayer in Chan John chapter 17, and we're trying to get a grasp 
on what this high priestly prayer is, and we're trying to remember, he's trying to teach us something through this. We also want to focus this morning a little bit on how to pray. Uh, for some of us, this can be a terribly intimidating thing. Uh, very rarely do new believers get the opportunity to hear, this is how you pray. Some, you know, we just kind of learn it by rote. I know as a new Christian, uh, I decided that I was going to go to my local church's Wednesday evening prayer sessions. Uh, I, I, didn't know, I don't know why, but I, my uh, future wife, we were just dating at the time, we decided that we were going to hit it because we wanted to improve our prayer life. We wanted to do something that would energize us. And the only people who came to this, by the way, were old people. You know, I was like 16, 17, and then uh, I own was older, and then we went all the way up into the 50s, 60s, and so forth. But here's what I learned. I learned to pray with those people. Uh, after the little Bible study, we would go off, several of us men, into the baptistry, and we would just get in there, and it was so cool. I mean, they said, we're going to pray, and you know, I'm kind of new at this, and I'm just bowing my head, and the next thing I know, these old dudes are sliding off their chairs onto their knees on the cement floor that has a drain in it for the baptisms, you know. And I'm thinking, whoa, this, this is cool. You know, I've never seen this done before. And then, you know, one man that we loved in our church, he was just a dear man, but he started every prayer the same. You know, our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. And then after a while, you know, I used to watch the youth, other youth group kids, you know, if he got to pray in church, we'd all be, our lips would be moving, our dear heavenly father, we think. But you know what? More than the words, his passion came through. Between those men in that group, and then experience I'll tell you a little bit later with my brother, I learned to pray. We have to learn to pray. Just like the kids, learning to talk. They have to learn it. They have to see it. Somebody has to provide an example for us in order to pray effectively. So let's talk about some of those things that go into prayer as we look at this chapter. First of all, we're going to talk about requests. Now, this is the most basic prayer. If any of us are ever going to pray, we usually focus on the request part, don't we? I do. You know, if I'm in a rush and things are just crazy, uh, and I feel like, oh, I need to pray today. So uh, God, please be with Ion, be with Rachel, be with Hannah, be with Bethany, be with Patrick, be with Brandon, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it's just, you know, and those are requests. And, you know, somebody will ask you, how's your prayer life? Oh, it's doing great. Yeah, I'm praying a lot, you know, praying for those things I care about. But in fact, when we see Jesus praying with request, he, he, he's really focused on others. It's not just about himself. He's focused on God's mission and what God wants for him. His obedience, perhaps, his ability to fulfill what God has given him. But really, we can't get away with just doing prayer requests. Uh, that, that happens, and that should be a necessary part of our, of our lives when we pray this way. You know, the, Matthew says, it says in your bulletin, ask and it shall be given to you. And everybody learns that, or a verse like that. And when we start praying, we get easily discouraged. I have this question all the time. People come to me and say, well, I heard a thing on prayer, and I've been praying, but God isn't answering my prayer. And I'm really frustrated. Am I doing something wrong? Or... What's going on? And we, it's, it's a natural question to ask. We really, we get hung up on that. Uh, I get hung up on that. Trust me, no matter how long you've been in the Lord, sometimes we get very impatient with God. What are you doing, Father? I've been praying for this. I need this. Sometimes it's a new job. Sometimes it's a life direction. Sometimes we need, you know, financial help. Sometimes it's for health. 
could be a myriad of things that we pray daily and we read that you know parable about the the, the guy comes and knocks on the door you know and uh, doesn't want to be disturbed in the middle of the night but finally because of your persistence I tell him and I've and you know God I'm going to just keep knocking and I'm going to be persistent and God doesn't seem to answer well there are a lot of reasons for that possibly uh, but I listed some for you in your bulletin, and I'm not going to walk through all of this, but just something to take note of, uh, like the second one there, unconfessed sin. Uh, we cannot live lives where we're just running around like crazy, and we're not focused on Christ or our walk with him, and then all of a sudden we just show up and we have a need, sort of that foxhole prayer mentality. Oh, God, you know, thank, please help me at this moment, you know, and I promise if you do, this will happen. You know, that's, that can't be the case. We have to keep short accounts with God. It's that abiding presence from John chapter 15. I abide in him, he abides in me. And then my prayer life is going to focus on what God gives me to pray about and not going to be so much about me. Uh, another one of my favorite ones is down there on the bottom of that list. Uh, we don't honor our spouses. First Peter tells us, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. That's what I call my wife, by the way, the woman. You know, showing honor to the woman. So that your prayers may not be hindered. We don't think about that a lot of times, guys. You know, I'm having trouble getting through to God. I don't, he's not getting me. I don't understand what's going on. And one of the first places I explore in my own life is how have I been treating my own lately? Uh, what's my relationship with her? Um, and what am I regarding in my heart? Uh, am I thinking of other things I shouldn't be thinking of? Some of us are so locked into pornography or watching things we shouldn't or focused on things. We're just mad. We're constantly mad. Our spouse is telling us, you, mean, you come home from work mad. And we snap at people and we're, and we're not honoring them. We're not lifting them up. We forget the bright of our youth. And God is saying to us, no, I can't hear you when you're like that. I don't want that. You know, so we have to always be checking in our hearts. You know, another thing that I haven't written this down here, but is truly a thing when I talk to people, is that sometimes God just says no. And to us, God has answered a prayer. I, it always makes me cringe inside when I hear someone say, God, thank you for answering my prayer because it's gone the way they want it to go. They've seen, you know, the money drop into their lap. They've, they've seen a miraculous healing or something has happened and they're like, God, thank you for your answer. God may be answering already. He may just be saying no to you, flat out. This is not what I have for you. I don't want this for you. Uh, I got something different for you. So, no. We don't want to hear that. Because our prayers, we craft them so they do us the most good. So that they benefit us. And God sometimes is saying, you know what, I know, just like the, the little kids up there, I know what you want, what you think you need, but I'm telling you, you don't. So how long do we keep praying for them? Well, I think that we have to just keep searching. One of the great things with requests, and I, I think this is fun today, is that you can do different things to spark, to give you prompts to pray. You know, in the old days, it was kind of fun. We would take a piece of paper, and if you're in college today and, or younger, uh, paper is made from trees. It's a process they... No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, I had a professor show me this. You just fold it and fold it into threes, and you get six little squares on one side. And what he did was just put the days of the week up there. And then he just listed his prayer requests. And if you came up to him and said, hey, prof, would you pray for this for me? He, you knew he was going to pull this out. He was going to write your name, the situation on there. And then I knew that he would come and ask me later, how'd that go? Uh, I prayed for you last week about this. How did that happen? 
Now today, in our high-tech world, we can get onto our smartphones, and we can go and get some apps. I think last time I checked, there were like five different apps on prayer requests. And some of them are really cool. You can hook uh, alarm bells to them. You can give prompts. There's a section for answers to prayer. And those are great. If you journal, if you use your phone, however you do it, just keep track of what God is doing. And I'm telling you, as the longer you pray, the more you'll understand what God wants for us, what God wants for you specifically, and how to pray. Uh, We need prayer warriors. We need others praying for us. And that's our second part. Not only do we have requests, but we're looking for intercession. We're looking for others to pray for us. Jesus is praying for his disciples and his disciples' disciples. And the more we grow in our prayer time, the more our prayer time should reflect our prayer for other people. And interceding doesn't just mean saying, Lord, be with someone today. Be with this person. It means interceding. Think of it this way. If you were experiencing difficulty in your life, if you had a certain trial or problem or something happening, a health issue, how would you want someone else to pray for you? Would you want them to come in and just put a hand on your shoulder and say, be with Dave today? Amen. Thank you. No, intercession means that we're, we're earnest. We're sincere. We're after it. We're after them for their benefit. We're praying for them. And we think outside of what we normally would encounter. We think of possibilities of things that could happen in this situation. We want them to know that we're praying for them. If you look on your bulletin, you notice that the people you can pray for in intercession, it's not just your loved ones, but pray for your enemies. Pray for those in authority. I know there's a lot of us in the Christian world. We're incredibly critical of those who are running our government. We don't like what's going on. We have issue with some of the policies that are existing. And we find it very easy to talk to one another, to get on, uh, you know, talk radio, and, you know, we're all for this and so forth. But do we pray for them? Do you pray for your leadership on a regular basis? Do you intercede for them? See, now it went up a notch. You can't just say, Lord, be with President Obama. You know, what you want to do is intercede for him. What does he need? What would be great if you were in his position for something to happen for you. I pray for Barack and for Michelle and the daughters. I pray just all the time for them. I want them to know God. More important than their policy is that they understand who the Lord is. And they may already do that. I don't know. But I'm just saying, that has got to be what we're doing. Back in, I first heard this, uh, it was during the Iran, Iranian uh, hostage crisis. I don't remember what year that was. But someone said to us, and we were being very critical, have you prayed for the Shah? And I thought, no, the Shah of Iran, I haven't. Have you prayed for Khomeini? No, I haven't. We have to be in prayer. We have to intercede for those in authority, for ministry leadership. We're going through succession right now. How awesome would it be if we would intercede for Doug and Jeff and just pray for them, as it says here. Uh, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, brothers, pray for us, for those that are sick. You know, And that's, a, that's one that we do. Usually if you ask in a group, are there any prayer requests, you're going to hear all of the human uh, illnesses. But there's also spiritual illnesses that need prayer for. So if we pray for everything that's out there, if we pray for all those that we need, obviously this is going to take some time. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do your prayers reflect you or do they reflect your God? Do your prayers reflect you or do they reflect your God? How big are your prayers? I was challenged on this uh, way back in my Christian infancy in a sense. Um, I, I fell in love with a girl in my youth group. And uh, what I had done, actually, is I had said to God, you know, Lord, 
I, want, I feel you're calling to ministry. I want to give my life to you in that way. And I don't want to be interrupted. I don't want to have anything come in and get me off track. Because I feel that that is your sincere uh, movement in my life. And I'd seen so many of my older friends in Christ, those that had discipled me and walked along with me, were now rejecting Christ. And almost every time it was because of a partnering with a non-believer or somebody who just did not get it. And so they aren't doing it. And I didn't want that to happen. But here's a crazy part. The only person in our uh, church youth group that I saw that was similarly minded was Ione, who is now my wife. And here's a couple of problems I had. One, she was four years older than me. So I was just a stupid high schooler. She was in college, almost done with college. And she was a Baptist minister's daughter. And I had no background in anything spiritual. Uh, in fact, I remember one of the first times I went to her house, uh, we just had started dating, and the family plays Scrabble. They love Scrabble. It's so boring. But anyway, they love Scrabble. <laughs> and so I'm learning how to play the game, and I write the word darn. Now, if that's an offensive word to you, I apologize, but in my world, I knew a lot better words if I wanted to be offensive. <laughs> but both parents' eyes go, whoa. You know, and Iona's kicking me under the table. What are you doing? You know, I didn't know in some Christian circles, this is a bad word, you know. Thankfully, my mother-in-law came to the rescue. She said to her husband, patting him on the arm, well, you know, darn, like you've mend a sock. He went, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> Got it, you know. So they weren't ready for this Philistine to come into their family or anything. And I knew that ahead of time. And I knew that if this was going to ever happen, it couldn't, it, nothing I could do to make it. So I'm sharing this with my brother. And he says to me, Dave, let's do this. Let's pray. Let's pray every night that if this is God's will, this would happen. And I was like, okay. Because my, my commitment to God was if it's not I own, it's no one. I didn't want any entanglements. That was, that was just then my purpose. And so we started praying, and we prayed in the living room because if you can remember the early air conditioning days, we had one window unit in the hot Omaha, humid weather. And so we slept in the living room every night in the summertime. And every night we would start praying that God's will would be done. And it took years, trust me, years of praying. But one night, uh, July 30th, uh, 1977, uh, Ione and I were talking late at night and she looked at me and she said, what would you say, Dave, if I told you that I liked you? Yes! God answers prayer. Yes. You know, and I, I wanted to say, what would you say now if I told you this was ordained by God, we're going to get married, and, you know, it's just going she would have run screaming for the hills. But that's the way God can work. Uh, how big is your God this morning? What are you praying for? Uh, that was the launcher for me to pray beyond and to think of things in a, in a major way. Praying for this city. Uh, we have a university right in our backyard. We gotta be praying fervently that God would move, that he would raise up harvesters. He would use us as harvesters. In this community, we wanna see, you know, it's 33,000 students or something like that up at that university. I don't pray for 10 or 100 would come to know Christ this year. Why not pray for all of them? Why not pray for all the universities? Why not pray for ISIS in the Middle East who are busy going about chopping heads off of Christians? Let's see them become Christians. How big is your God? What does your prayer life reflect? Lastly, we want to pray in worship. We want to 
just talk to God and we want to let him, and this to me is the best part of prayer, and yet too often it's taken me personally too long to get to this point in prayer. So now instead of starting with requests, going to intercession and worship, I would suggest we, we flip that. We start with worship, just like Jesus is, talking to God. I want to just be in you, Father, you be in me. And to me, it's like this clay right here. And when I come to him, he has permission when I worship him to do whatever he needs to do in my life. Nobody speaks greater, greater to my heart in those moments than God does. My wife tries, but I'm pretty you know, deaf when it comes to what she's trying to say. But when God talks to me, wow. And when I'm in prayer time with him and I'm worshiping him and he whispers into my heart, sometimes you know, I come in in one form and then he decides, you know what, Dave, today we're going to talk about some things in your life I don't like. And I feel flattened. I feel like he's convicting me, which he should do. And he's saying to me, I want you to change this attitude. I want you to change how you talk. I want you to quit doing this behavior. I want you to focus more on me and less on yourself. And man, those can be painful times. And they can come at any time. Uh, this is not like, well, I've been a Christian for two years and God's going to... You could be a Christian for 50 years. I hope that you've been a Christian for 50 years and God is still talking to you this way. And then there are other times in that worship time when I come to God and we just have such a sweet time and I hear him saying to me, you're my son and you, you're, you're who I take pleasure in. And I just want to do this through you and I want to bless you and I feel lifted up. And I'm like, wow, Father, thank you so much. But whatever the case is, I give him permission to mold me, to shape me, to make me into his image. You see, Dave Foster died back in 1974. Uh, according to Colossians chapter 3, when I came to him, I gave him all. I have no right to expectations, to fulfillment. I have nothing that I can say, God, you're being unfair. This isn't right. I feel that way sometimes, and I actually have prayed that way. But God is saying to me, no, I got something new for you. Uh, you're going to become something you've never been before. Uh, in other words, you can look at it this way in a positive way. When we come to Christ, when we know him, everything from that point on is gravy because it's in that redemption and that salvation that we are given the greatest gift, which is access to our Father, which allows us to worship in truth and in power. So when you pray, if you're going to be an effective prayer, you have to have a time of worship in there, a time where you just you, your Bible, and the Lord talking. And you're willing to let that potter take you and shape you in the way that he wants you to be. We give up our identity in ourselves, and we want our identity to be in Jesus Christ. That is a powerful, powerful thing. The point is this. Become like clay in the potter's hands, according to Isaiah 64. That's what we are. That's what we so, we're supposed to be. So in our prayer time, if we focus on requests... And we make that really the smallest part, at least especially if it's about us. Because God, he'll have a way of bringing the right request to our heart as we worship him, as we understand him and our role with him. And then we really focus on interceding for others. And again, do not miss the point that in this chapter, John 17, the focus for Jesus is he's talking to Christians who are busy in the work of discipleship. It's not a focused prayer on who we are. It's a focused prayer on what we're going to do with Christ in us. 
and how we're going to reach out to others. I, again, the most common thing I say to people when they say to me, I just don't feel the power of God. You're always talking about what the Holy Spirit does. Da, 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 da. I don't see those things. And my always response to them is, uh, who are you discipling? Who are you reaching out to for Christ? The, the times that we see those huge answers to prayer, God moving is at those times. When we were in Mexico one year, and I was with my high schools. We did this every year. And we're standing there, and the, it's the morning where we're going to share the gospel with the little kids. And our translator's up there, and I don't remember what, which one of my high schoolers was at bat that morning to, to share the gospel. But just out of nowhere, all of a sudden, next door, this blaring, loud Mexican music came out. You know, and it just, wow, wow. If you've ever been to Mexico, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Just coming out loud. And the kids are losing attention, and they're looking around. It's hard for us to think. And one of my guys said to me, hey, what are we going to do? I think he wanted to go attack the next door neighbors or something. But I was just like, hey, bud, let's just pray. So we just pray. I said, God, in the name of Jesus, you know what we're trying to do here this morning? We just pray that you would stop that music. And I mean, seriously, no sooner did we say amen, the music, and the high schooler is just like, what? We don't expect God because we're not doing anything for God, with God. We're not discipling. We're just living our lives. And 90% of our prayer time is just focused on us. How big is your God? Pray. Pray with the, big, the faith that you need to have that thing happen in your life, to be doing something for God. He wants us to do that. He loves for us to do that. From this point on, these people are going to go out, these disciples, and they're going to change the world. Who would have thought that 11 men from Galilee would have the opportunity to make the impact that they had in this world. It happened because of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for just uh, your encouragement to us to pray. Father, may we this week understand that we can make requests of you that are gigantic and that we can have the faith to believe, as long as you're directing, that you will fulfill those things. May we pray for those that we're intimately associated with, for those that we're discipling, and Father, may we pray for those that are yet to come. May we have vision and mission. And may we in community together and singly pray, Lord, with our hearts devoted to you. We love you. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.